hey, it's an honor to be here. But um, man, I I got to tell you first of all, um, what you have here is different. Um, the fact that we're not just here in a chapel, that it's not just oh, I'm gonna check the box and I'm gonna go to class but that God's presence is actually here, that you're actually seeking his face this morning, that when we sing Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that we know and recognize that he's here in this place. And that's a gift that we have. Uh, I want to honor, first of all, Pastor Josh. Um, he gave me the best intro that someone can give you is that they're your friend. Um, and, and you will recognize that as life goes on, it is one of the most limited qualities and resources that we face in our society today, which is a true friend. They did a recent study and found that the average American has approximately four friends. That means there are some people with a lot less. <laughs> Maybe a few of you have a lot more. Uh, but I'm thankful for not just a quantity, but quality of somebody who is not only a prolific preacher and pastor, a great leader, but a person who walks with character and integrity. Would you help me honor your pastor this morning? Okay, real talk, I, real talk. We're about to become quick friends, okay? So I'm going to lean in. I'm going to borrow relational equity as if we have known each other for the last seven years. You never honor a guest that you don't know more than you honor the gift in your house that you do know. Right? You, know, like you, ne you never go like, oh, welcome this person that we have no idea who you are, right? Because you only welcome me based on the gift that you have in your house. So one time, would you help me honor your pastor, Pastor Josh? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, NCU, we about to be family. I love y'all. Okay, um, I also want to honor your president. Thank you for the opportunity to be here at your university. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, real, real talk, I want to dive into it. I have to let you know this. First of all, um, I am a long-witted preacher. The good news for you is I don't get to go long today, okay? We're going to get out on time, but it does mean this. I am going to speak at a rapid pace because what I believe that God has put on my heart for you today is important, not just because I want to preach it, but because I believe that God's prepared it for your life, for your future, and for your purpose. Um, I'm excited. My, my travel companion, my partner for life, my do or die, my rib, the love of my life, She's been the love of my life for 16 years. She didn't know it, except for about 14 years. Uh, <laughs> but she's my best friend. My wife's with me. And then we have, we have two products of our passion, uh, our, our sons, uh, Braxton and Grayson. Uh, some of y'all are like, wait a minute. Uh, yeah. uh, Braxton, who's 10 years old, and Grayson, who's 7. Braxton, who's 10, I recently asked him, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you remember when people used to ask you that question? Some of you like, they still ask me that question, right? Now it's like, what is your major in, right? But they asked Brax, they go, what do you want to be when you are? He goes, dad, I either want to be an NFL uh, wide receiver or a rapper. Cool, bro. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy what dad does for a living, right? But then my youngest son, Grayson, he's seven. He goes, dad, I, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I was like, okay, okay, tell me. He's like, I want to be a pastor. I was like, oh, yes, sir. Or a UFC fighter. <laughs> my dude, okay. And he's like, I got to pick. I was like, no, you don't. I was like, do both. Knock them out and then raise them from the dead. You can do both of them, bro. You, you just go for it, right? But I noticed with my youngest son, Grayson, that he is a lot like his father. That he has a little bit of what we call raw passion in our house. Anger sometimes, right? Like some of y'all know, like some of y'all, we're, we're going to be best friends from get-go because you go, oh, I, I got a little bit of a hot temper. 
Like I run a little bit hot. Or people just say you're a passionate person or you have a lot of energy, right? And you're like, no one's told me that. They may be scared to, right? But there's something about this passion, this raw energy and anger that if we're not careful, we get sedated to the fact that it's still not scripturally prioritized or prescribed for our soul. As a matter of fact, it says this in Ephesians. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, it said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Paul, the writer to the church of Ephesus, is saying, along with murder, get rid of, sorry, now, church I grew up in, when the pastor stops talking, it's not because he forgot the words, he wants you to talk. So if it's malice and anger, I'll tell you the word, right? Malice and Oh, we, we we're going to have church now. OK, so malice and anger. Now, this falls in line with what the gospel of John says that Jesus proclaimed that he came to do. He said that thief comes to steal, kill and some of y'all know your Bible still kill and destroy. But he said, I've come to give you life and life to the. Is it OK on protocol if I don't stay up there? OK, life to the. This word full, for those of you who are ministry majors, you're like, I know exactly what that means. I can give you the root word and the lexicon. Okay, great. For the rest of us, let me break it down. It simply means superior, full, extraordinary. How many of you in this room, regardless of your major, your stage of life, your circumstances, your your background, your DNA, your biography, say, man, I want a life this extraordinary. Okay, two of you. Okay, so we could dismiss chapel. I'll preach to the three. How many of you go like, I want an extraordinary life? Like, none of us are sitting here going, like, I want to breathe to get by. I just want to do enough to get through it. But if God has a plan to give us a life to the full, then we also have to ask ourselves, what is the strategy the enemy has to still kill and destroy, to steal our hope, to kill our peace, and destroy our purpose? See, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, get rid of anger. He recognizes that one of the strategies of the enemy to steal your peace is to keep you in a state of anger. We see this in our culture today. It starts with fear, right? Fear is the gateway. It's like the free drug that they give out. If they can get us afraid enough, they can get us angry enough to point us in the position or purpose that they have for us and not that God has for us. If we're not careful, we will lean into the plan of the enemy and not even know it. We'll go, no, I've got righteous anger. If you have righteous anger and act unrighteous, it's no longer righteous anger. Why? Because a good tree can only produce good fruit. So I have to ask myself, what is it that's happening on the inside of me? I think about in the second half of Scripture, in the second half of Scripture, we see in Hebrews, we have the Hall of Faith, right? And so it's all the, like, the best of the best. It's like the Tom Brady's, the Michael Jordan's, right? Real quick, we could just settle this fact that the GOAT in basketball will forever be. All right. It's great being with y'all. Appreciate you. Just cast that out right now. Okay, no. Um, But we know the best of the best were in Hebrews, right? And they list this one man named Moses. Moses. Moses is the O-T-O-G. He is the guy from the first half of the Bible who you go like, okay. And Moses gets all of these accolades as if he accomplished something great. But if you've been around church for a little bit, what you know about Moses is he started strong, but it appears as if he didn't finish strong. We know in Scripture in the book of Numbers in chapter 20, That Moses has this moment after he's been the one to exodus the people from Egypt. He's been the liberator of those who have been limited by oppression and occupation. He's going to bring them out of Egypt. He's going to lead them into the wilderness. He's God's person. And in one moment, he gets mad. He gets 
angry, he strikes a rock and now he can't enter the promised land. His entire purpose seems to be thwarted because he had one moment of anger, one moment of lapse, judgment or purpose. It's as if today Moses would lean in from the halls of heaven and go, hey, just a minute. I want you to have a moment to think about what you feel about before you go about doing something that you cannot undo. What would it like for us today? It's not an easy topic to preach and amen on. If I wanted that, I'd talk about the four friends who carried the paralyzed man on a mat to Jesus, and we would preach on that. I would talk about Peter, who was the rock. Today, what I want to do is give you seed for your soul. Something that could wreck your life is anger. And we can look at Moses and we can be really good judges about Moses, right? We go, Moses, I can't believe you got mad and you struck a rock. It says this in Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 through 12, that Moses comes out of the tent of meeting towards the assembly. And he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raises his arm, he strikes the rock twice, and water gushed out. The community and their livestock strength. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough. Because you did not what? Trust me. Because you didn't trust me. No, James, he was angry. No, no, no. The, The fruit of not trusting God caused the fruit of anger in his life. It goes, uh, because of that, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. How many of you are on board to go, yeah, Moses messed up? Anybody? Yeah. Now, I gave you that, but now you give you a little context at why Moses is so angry, because a lot of times we recognize the action, but we don't see the root of what happened. It says in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, there who died? Okay, real quick, somebody who's like, you know, JBQ master champion. Who's Miriam? Moses' sister dies just 10 verses before Moses is angry. Wait, 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 hold on. Now, how many of you are starting to be moved with compassion for a little bit? Go, wait, no, Moses is probably doing what we would know as the seven stages of grief. Anger is a symptom of the grief, the loss that Moses feels. Moses is trapped in this moment of feeling loss. And you go, well, I know what happened, right? This Israelite community that he had sacrificed for, left the palace of Pharaoh where he was groomed and perfumed to be a prince. He left that and he led them out. Surely they get together and they're like, hey, we're going to do a potluck for you. We're going to have like a mill train. We're going to take care of you, right? That's what you do for your people. It's not what happens with Moses. It says in the verses to follow that not only does she die, But the response is interesting. The response to the people in verse number two. In verse one, who dies? In verse number two, now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition. This is almost as if they're they're rebelling. They're about to take over. It's a coup against Moses and Aaron. Verse number one, your sister dies. Verse number two, hey man, we ain't got no water to drink. You're a horrible leader. No time, no time to wait and see what Moses is going through. No compassion for the leader. No, my viewpoint is limited by the resources that are limited. I have no water. I feel weak. I'll respond. Both groups of people are dealing with pain and circumstances. A lot of you now go, hey, man, how many of you, just being honest, you go, man, Moses should get a pass now. 
Go ahead. Raise your hand. Yeah. He's going through something. I want to give you this line today because I think it may help you for the rest of your life and not just in anger. Reasons do not remove responsibility. I'm going to say it again. Slow and not preach it. Take a moment and teach it. Reasons do not remove responsibility. My reasons are important. My reasons can help me have understanding. My reasons do not remove the responsibility of the action or the consequence in my life. I remember the first time that I felt a little out of place in my life. I told you I'm a little bit of a hothead. A little bit like I always tell people I'm holy and hood. I lay hands and throw hands. Right. What does throw hands mean? Um, First time I felt a little out of place, first grade. First grade, I was growing up in this rural community. I think we had like a flashing red light. And um, it was like where they would tip cows over when they fell asleep, right? And I remember in the second half of first grade, they pulled me out of my class. And when everybody else would go to recess, the playground, go do their thing, they would put me in this room. They put headphones on my head. And they would, I hope you're okay up there. They put headphones on my head. And they would uh, have me start reading stuff. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And what was happening, I only understood years later, was uh, they had discovered that there was a speech issue that I had. There was an audiological issue between my hearing and my speech. I had a speech impediment, a stuttering issue. As a matter of fact, you probably heard it come out once or twice today. And I knew that first grade, something's different about me. I'm just not like everybody else. In fourth grade, I'll never forget, I had transitioned schools. And when you know you don't fit in, you find a way to stand out, Right. So you're like, oh, I can't play by the same rules as everybody else, so I'll find another set of rules and I'll win at that game. So I did. I became the class clown. Oh, I was, so, God, I was funny. I'm talking about like fourth grade. I would say like Kevin Hart level funny for a fourth grader, okay? Like I was good, right? And, and no lie, at fourth grade, I thought I was killing the game. Like friends are laughing. I felt liked by a group of people, and I'll never forget, we had to pull cards. And most kids' cards went green, yellow, red. Mine went like green, yellow, blue, purple, chartreuse, turquoise, teal, red, because I had issues, right? And one day I pulled the last card, and I won't tell you the name of the teacher to protect the guilty, but I remember I had this teacher, and she said, James Powell, you talk too much, you'll never amount to anything. Yeah, I was really mad at Miss Langner, too, and <laughs> frustrated, but here, here was the reality of it. It was another stamp to remind me that I was different than everybody, that I didn't look like everybody or talk like everybody. If that was fourth grade from the ages of 10 to 12, I was emotionally, verbally, sexually, and physically abused. Some of that happened at the hands of people in church. This caused anger within me. By the time I was 17, my anger had turned into a place that I'm now kicked out of my house. I'm homeless. I'm living out of the back of a Ford Explorer. I'm abusing alcohol and prescription drugs. My anger, my rage was, I don't fit in. I feel unworthy. I didn't have the words like anxiety or depression. Here's the word I had to define my life. I felt discardable. Discardable. I mean, God, God did a work. Listen, it's too long of a story to tell, but took a, a, one man knocking on the back of my window, invite me to live in their house that got me back on the path of God's purpose for my life. But the anger didn't go away just because the purpose resumed. So I found myself just probably four or five years ago, my wife coming to me, she goes, babe, I love you. I love you so much. You, uh, 
your anger has become a roller coaster for our family. Like, I'm not angry. No, I didn't really. She was right. Because what we think is, I'll just point anger in the right direction. But good fruit comes from a good tree. I had to go back and start digging up some roots. Why? Because reasons do not remove responsibility. I want to give you real rapid succession today. A couple of points from Moses' life that I think if he was going to challenge us today to get rid of our big mad and trade it in for big love, here's what he would say. Number one, stop listening to your critics and start listening to your creator. Stop listening to your critics and start listening to your creator. Listen, Miss Langner wasn't the loudest critic in my life. The abusers were not the loudest critic in my life. What became the loudest critic in my life that would live on far past the harm they did? Myself. Moses knows that he has a speech issue. Moses faced this before God ever called him. He knew that he has a speech issue. And then God calls him. He goes, no, I can't do it. I'm not good verbally. And God says, tell them I am sends you. But in Numbers chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, what we find is they say there's no water to drink, but they make a very important accusation. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Why did who? You, speaking of Moses, what is interesting about this fact is that God is the one who brought them out of Egypt, not Moses. But when you are your own worst critic, you'll take every critique as an assassination against your assignment. And so what does Moses do? Moses goes, they must be right. I did it. It's on me. So then what God has been doing, the miraculous, the unbelievable, he begins to take credit for. If you take credit for the victories, you have to take credit for the losses. Moses is dealing with a source of critical identity failure. He's going, wait, if it's on me, what do I do? How do I produce it? In Exodus chapter 3 and 11, before this takes place, Moses arguing with God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God's response is never, Moses, you're great. Moses, you're awesome. Moses, you're the man. Simply this, I will be with you. I who have sent you. Today, one of the things, if you're going to stop listening to your critics and start listening to your creator, is to recognize the fact that my creator has a calling for my life that is bigger than the critics that are around me. Some of our anger is pointed at the people closest to us because it's the easiest and most convenient for us because we've allowed critics to live on the stands of our mind. Some of us, if we're not careful, we have put this invisible stand in our mind and it is crowded full of critics. It's got Andy from second grade who made fun of you for peeing your pants and you can't wait. You're like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a master's degree. I'm going to go into business. I'm going to be a billionaire. And one day I'm going to find Andy and be like, mm, who peed in their pants now, Andy? And Andy has like found Jesus and he's grown since second grade. And now Andy's like working in charitable work. Like Andy grew too. But isn't it interesting that we give ourselves permission to grow, but never the critics in the stands of our mind? Who is the critic in the stand of your mind that you're performing for today? Because that performance will never be enough. Listen, God who created you didn't say perform for me, do for me. No, he said, I have good plans for you before you were ever born. Those plans don't go away. They don't get wrecked. No, he goes, I know you, I sensed you, I made you. So when critics get upset with me or they want to assassinate my assignment, I simply go, would you please consult the manufacturer? That's not on me. 
What has released me into my calling to help me dig up the root of anger has been to go, I got to get rid of the critics. I've got to save time. Here we go. Okay, so point number two is this. You got to deal with your anger before you attack. Deal with your anger before you attack. Part of that is this. My son Braxton, 10, he loves playing the Oculus and his iPad and all the digital stuff. Email Pastor Josh about it, not me. But he loves doing this and he convinced me to buy him AirPods. I thought I was getting him AirPods because he wanted to listen to music. But AirPods have one interesting feature that I did not think about when I bought them for him. And what is it? Yes, yeah, exactly right. Noise cancellation. I'd be trying to talk to my son like, son, I need to take out the trash. I'm like, hey, hey, Brax, you got to take out the trash. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. I, what, you. What do you mean you didn't hear me? He has a choice, though, on his AirPods. He can have it on transparency or noise canceling. I wonder how many of us were like, I got my, I got my worship headphones in. I'm, I'm listening to you, Jesus. I'm called by you. I have a relationship with you. But I'm still letting all the other voices in, too. If I keep doing that, I won't deal with the anger before I attack. Moses and Aaron, they, they leave the assembly. They go to the entrance of the tent of meeting. For time's sake, just in brevity, I'll tell you this. The tent of meeting was a place that God's presence was. They're going to meet with God. That's a great place to run to. Whenever you're angry, whenever you're dealing with grief, you run. Moses does this right. He runs to the right place. The Lord says to Moses, take your staff, you and your brother, gather the assembly together. And then it says something interesting in verse number seven or eight. Sorry, verse eight, it says, speak to that rock. Do what to the rock? Do what to the rock? Wait, hold on, God. That's, that's my weakness. I'm in a weak moment. You want me to expose my weakness? It says, speak to the rock before their eyes, and I will pour water out of it. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as God had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them. Said to who? God said, speak to the, he speaks to them and says, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? If I don't deal with my anger, I'll use God's grace as a license to do something that God did not call me to do. God had used him as a mouthpiece multiple times with Pharaoh. And yet this mouthpiece that God has used, now he abuses and goes, I won't speak to the rock. I'm going to speak to them Why he's so angry. When you run to God's presence, that's great. But some of you have ran in and you've ran out. You run into chapel. Just forgive me. I'm a, can I pastor you for a second? I could be a speaker. I could say nice things and you'd be like, he's funny and that'd be great. And we'd fist bump and we'd see each other in eternity. But for your future, can I pastor you? If you just run in and run out and nothing ever happens inside, nothing ever happens outside. I want, to give you, I want to give you the analogy of pause. Band, I know you have 26 seconds to come up. When you're angry, here's what I want you to do, pause. Would, would you all do this? I, I know this is dangerous because you're going to check Instagram and Snapchat and everything else. You're not on Instagram. That, that's my generation. No, TikTok. Would you jump on your notes app, whatever you have to write this down. I'm going to give you pause, and I'm going to give you a breakdown of pause for your life on how to deal with anger. P, I got to pause my feet and pause my heart. I can't just run in and run out of places because my heart often follows the pace of my feet. Listen to me. My heart follows the pace of my feet. If I'm not careful, I will run at people when I need to pause my feet and my heart with people. A, I need to ask God for patience. Ask God for what? Patience. patience. 
the patience is to do something in me. You is understand what's happening in me. As I begin to look at the anger in my life, I wasn't anger. I wasn't angry about the person who cut me off in traffic. I wasn't angry about the person who made me feel less than. It was a discarded mentality and seed that had been planted in my life that kept yielding a fruit of anger at everyone else around me. When I stop and understand what's happening in me, I allow God to begin to come in and to heal the broken places. S, stay close to God. Moses did everything right except the S. Some of y'all just need to stay a little bit longer. Like if you're still ready to lay hands on them after you prayed about them, stay a little bit longer. It's really hard to cuss somebody out and listen to worship music at the same time. Some of y'all, Lord is my shepherd. I want to throw hands to you, but I'm not going to, right? You need to just learn a new worship song and stay, stay close to God. Then E is this, then you expect God to act. If Moses would have had the humility to not take it in his own hands, he would have expected God to act. And when God acts, people respond. When God acts, people respond. Number three is simply this. It's my last point. It's choose devotion over emotion. Choose devotion over emotion. It sounds like Dr. Seuss-ish, right? Like, choose devotion over emotion. Here's what I mean. If I'm committed to something, consecrated to something, it's different than if I just like it or feel it or don't. The difference in devotion and emotion is the difference in me coming to chapel and entering into worship or not based on my circumstances. It's the difference in going like, I feel it or don't, in a generation where you are constantly being pumped with the message of follow your heart, follow your gut. No, your feelings are a great guide. They are a horrible God. They will use you, abuse you, and then leave you behind. The emotion will be gone and you'll ask yourself, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I didn't mean it that way. Why? Because you didn't have a moment to allow God to come in. It looks like Moses' life is done. It looks like if you put it all together, you go, dude, you just gave us a great example on how anger wrecks your life, but he was God's guy and God gave up on him because of one moment of anger. So that's the message you came to NCU all the way from Denver. So you could tell us if you get angry, God's going to ditch you. No, no. The Old Testament ends Moses' story by saying that God covered him in the desert. And you could go, that's God's grace that covered him. No, he's sitting in the promised land. That still feels a little shortchanged to me. Like 40 years in the wilderness with a bunch of complaining, griping, mumbling people. Some of y'all are like, I can't do a semester with my roommate like that, right? Don't look at him right now. I saw you look, ma'am. Don't look. Just look down the road. Wow. God, I thank you for peace. Um, I was struggling over this topic. I was wrestling with the tension of the text and God took me to the second half of scripture. In the second half of scripture in the gospel of Matthew, something interesting takes place. There's the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration is where for the first time in Jesus' life, he's going to show his full divinity inside of his humanity. Not just miracles, not parable, not teacher, not rabbi, not master, but actually God. It says that they go up the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. And there, transfigured before them, Jesus shone like the sun, glory. And said, there he was triggered before them. 
His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Just then appeared before them who? Mo- who? The OT OG showing up in the NT? This is like your favorite character died season one. You're in the new season. You're like, they're not even, what? But of all the people that God could have assembled to bring around Jesus to declare his deity, he picked one of them to be Moses. It's interesting when you look geographically, you know where the Mount of Transfiguration actually lies in what we would quantify and qualify as the promised land. Now, just for a moment, permit me the latitude. Could it be that with Jesus, there is always a new start? Could it be with Jesus that your past doesn't have to define you? Could it be that his legacy would not be that he was limited and left in the wilderness, but that with Jesus, he still gets to show up and declare not only in the promised land, but about the promised man? I tell you that to give you hope today. I want you to feel the tension in the text. If you're wrestling with anger because of pain and trauma, you've got reasons today. But my reasons don't give me the right to remove responsibility to model before my two sons what a humble, meek, and compassionate man looks like. I had to wrestle up the root of anger. Some of you today, if you're not careful, you've not yet recognized that trauma, pain, and problems of your past are going to percolate into anger. And I'm asking you today to allow God to heal the wound before you willed it. I know we've got a close, you've got class. I'm gonna ask you all of this room if you stand with me. Left to right, front to back, I'm gonna give you a quick response today. And it's simply this. You're in the room and you go, James, I've got some stuff in my life. I've got problems from my past. I have some pain or some trauma. And today I'm recognizing that some of that stuff's causing anger and breakups and relationships and friendships. And today I need God to do something. I will pray quick, but I'm asking you to stay in God's presence today and allow him to continue to heal the wound. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, front to back, left to right, on the floor and upstairs. You're here and you go, okay, James, I'm dealing with some stuff, but I'm gonna deal with it before it deals with me. If that's you today, I'm gonna count to three of my shoes. Put your hand up, you can put it down, no one's looking around, not gonna call you out or call you for it. Hands are already going up, one, two, three. Yeah, 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 wow, wow. God, thank you. I thank you, first of all, for your sweet presence, that your spirit is gentle with us, comes alongside us to heal us, that you don't cry out in judgment against us for anger today. You call out as a loving father to bring us close to yourself, to love us, heal, and bind up our wound. You said you're near to the brokenhearted. We think that's only when we're hurt, but you're also near to the brokenhearted and bind up our wounds when it's trauma and it's pain and it's our past. Today, I ask for my friends in this room that today would be the start of the healing process. For some, it will be miraculous and instantaneous. For others, we know that it's a process. God, would you work in us? Would you begin to heal the wounds so we don't pass them on? So that we might live out a legacy that is one of gentleness, meekness, and compassion. God, I thank you for the work that you're beginning today. I pray, Father, by the power of your spirit, that you would carry it on to your completion. We pray this in the name above every name, the name of our hope and liberating King, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know so many of you have class. If you would just give us just a moment. If you don't have class, I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you don't have class and I can pray with you, I'm gonna stay as long as it takes. I'd love the opportunity, the band will play some worship. We'll be down here to pray. Um, It's okay if I just dismiss. Love you guys. Hey, tomorrow I'm gonna be back. 
and I would love if you'd join me. Let's continue the process of pursuing God's purpose together. Have a great day.